Well, dear church family, our concentration this Lord's Day will be on those precious words of the Saviour in Revelation 2.4, where the Lord God says in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Thou hast left thy first love. These indeed are solemn words, are they not, to the church that was at Ephesus. Of course, he is addressing, uh, it was addressed in particular to the angels, to the ministers, who were like angels shining in a dark world, messengers of light, as, as, as it were, uh, to, bring, to bring the glorious light of the, of the gospel. But something had happened in particular to this church at Ephesus. And if you've ever been to Ephesus, it's a, it's, a, 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 it's a terrible place now. I remember going there and it's just full of stray cats hissing, scarred, scratched up faces. It's quite a place to, to, to go to Ephesus. Um, the candlestick was removed, of course, out of that place. Um, and so, so these are solemn words to the churches that were in Ephesus, but also... The, the word of God is relevant to us nowadays. I believe that many, many a candlestick has been removed out of many churches in our day in the West. And so it begs the question for us here today, has the Lord individually become your first love? Has there been a time and a period in your life, you may not put, be able to put your exact hour or day upon it, but has there truly been A time in your life where the Lord has become your first love. That nothing was too much for the Lord. No no distance that was too far to travel to be with God's people, to worship the Lord. And when someone is deeply in love, and I hope I don't mind using my (laughs) my son and my son-in-law Junior and my daughter Abigail. But when someone is deeply in love, nothing is too much trouble, is it? Is it? There's nothing is too much trouble to, to, to travel and, to, and to, to be with that person. There's a, some, there's a constantly, you're thinking upon that person. You're deeply in love with that person. That person becomes, there's, there, everything seems sweeter. Every bit of providence is, is sweet. But this is more so intense with those who are truly converted there is that the Lord becomes your center of your universe. Every bitter circumstance is sweet. There's this joy and pleasure in, in, in the Lord. And so these words are very relevant, are they not, to our day? Is there, has the Lord become your first love? You see, we have a real enemy that seeks to make the things of this world our first love. That will say to young people, young women or young men, well, you've got, to, you've got to dress a certain way if you're a young lady. You've got to dress a certain way for you to appeal to the culture. You've got to look like a stick insect or you've got to, you've got to dress a certain way or you've got to be, have a certain mindset for you to be accepted in our culture. And, and, and you'll then find love as it were, if you look a certain way, if you think a certain way, or if you're a man, if you, you've got to have gross, be grossly masculine and, and to, you know, to, 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 for, for, to attract that right person. 
And ultimately, dear friends, the, the, the loves of this world, as it were, they just leave us empty. That there's not a lasting joy, there's not a lasting solid love there. And so the Lord here is speaking to his, the church at Ephesus, but he's speaking to us here today. Has the Lord ever become your first love? Are you deeply infatuated with the Lord? And when you've drifted away from the Lord, is it heart-wrenching? I mean, it's, it's even worse than your best love in your life. It's, 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 it, it breaks your heart when you've realized this. Has that happened to you, dear friends? Well, really, that's what I want to get to the bottom of in today's sermon, with the Lord's help. And as we've read, the church at Ephesus was commended for their diligent works, were they not? The Lord says, I know your works. I'm mindful of your, of your works. I mean, they did a great work for the Lord in the name of the Lord. I mean, they go far beyond what, many, most, what most churches in the West do nowadays. Most churches in the West, sadly, are not even holding to the word of God nowadays. They're, they're recreating themselves in the image of the culture to whatever fashions of the culture. But at least this church in Ephesus here could be said, well, I know your works. I know that you're still laboring for me. And not only that, not only works, but they were laboring. This word is a strong word. They were toiling. It was painful. They were persevering, as it were, despite the persecution, despite the slander. They were laboring wholeheartedly for the Lord. And the Lord was mindful of this. He was mindful that they were doing this. And, and they did not faint. He took account of all these things. And so we know that the Lord takes account of all our labors. If we're doing it in his name, we're truly seeking his glory. He takes account of those. Every track handed out, every person witnessed to, any work done for the Lord, he takes account of that so we can be encouraged in this. But he also commends them for their patience and suffering. I mean, they, this church in Ephesus underwent much slander and uh, much persecution. And they persevered amidst this as, as Christian soldiers enduring hardness. And they hated that which was evil. They avoided it. They hated it. They also exposed and tried and examined those who rose up within the church so within, as it were, that claimed to be apostles. And they tried them, they examined them, and they found them to be deceitful, to be, to be liars. And so on paper, one could say, when looking at such a church, or churches, as it were, one could say that this was the model church, as it were. This was a model church. Even in our day, people could look up to them and see they had borne the reproach of the ungodly. They had patiently endured hardness as Christian soldiers, and they did it all in the Lord's name. They had labored tirelessly, painfully, and had not fainted. This was a model church, as it were. This was a church that was outstanding. And yet, we're told in verse 4, by the Lord himself, that the most important ingredient, really, in all this, their service was missing. The most vital ingredient in all this, their labor and service was missing. And that was that of love. Love for the Lord, the same love which I described, where nothing is too much, 
wherever bit bitter providence is sweet, where you'll, you'll travel and, and do whatever it is because you love the Lord. That, that true love, that first love, was missing. And it was very telling, wasn't it? Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. They had grown cold, cold in the service of God. They were just, as it were, going through the motions of Christian church service, as it were. They were just going through the motions. It became all too familiar and mechanical and robotic. And that's what is happening, I believe, to many churches in this land. It's just become mechanical, robotic, as it were. Just going through the motions, as it, as it were, like any other work. No preparing the heart, no fervent love, no seeking the Lord's presence and the Spirit's illumining and unction and power, not seeking that joy in the salvation. It was just becoming all too mechanical and robotic, dear friends. And because iniquity abounded outside of the church and the culture, with a Greek philosophical mind coming in, as it were, and affluence and many other things, and of course inside the church, uh, iniquity started to abound, and the love of many started to wax cold. And these things are all too familiar, are they not, in our day? And the love of many are just waxing cold in our day. And many people decide, well, I'll, I'll just do church at home nowadays. And if I do do church, I'm just going to be a casual observer, as, as it were. Just trudging in service, as it were. Forgetting their first love. And yes, orthodox, yes, hardworking, but they were becoming spiritually lifeless, powerless, out of love with the Lord of the service, out of love with their Saviour, as it were. Their joy and holy affection for the Lord and his felt presence were being left behind in seemingly everything that they did, not counting it joy when falling into divers' temptations, no warm and constant and heartfelt prayer life. No heart preparation and worship, as it were. No heartfelt tears over such a heart, a cold heart towards the Lord. Such a defeatist spirit, as it were, that is creeping in. And the Song of Solomon, which we read earlier in chapter 5, really beautifully illustrates such a condition. It beautifully illustrates it where the Lord is entreating his spouse, which he had bought when but a beggar, like Ruth, as it were. And he is entreating her outside of the door. And we have this beautiful picture, which, which Solomon uh, speaks of. And he is endowed with a spiritual fruit and heavenly blessings and, and all the riches, as it were, of glory and of heaven. And he wants to furnish her with all this fruit, all this blessing. And she's daydreaming. He's there all night, as it were. The dew is upon his head. He's taken his coat off. He's given, given it as a righteousness for her. And she's daydreaming. She's asleep, as it were. She's just unresponsive. He calls her at length. 
He beckons her, he woos her. He knocks upon the door, as it were. And at last, he puts his hand upon the hole of the door, almost like a last-ditch effort, as it were, leaving that sweet fragrance upon the door hole, and it bellows through the door hole, that sweet rich richness and, and the, those fragrances through the door hole, and it wakes her up, finally. And she, her heart awakes, the text says. Her heart awakes, and she remembers her beloved. And she gets up, runs to the door, and he has with, withdrawn himself. And she goes about all the city, as it were, to find, to find him again. And she, of course, is mistreated by everyone, by the watchman. She, she, and this is very similar to how we can treat the Lord. Is, is it not? We can be like this to the, to the Lord. Well, friends, if, if you've ever been truly born again, and Christ has been your first love, and you've been a true Christian for any length of time, you will know, as well as I will, that the pain the, the pain involved in leaving your first love, in experiencing this, when, when you've, like David, and like many of the saints of old, where, where you're just going through the motions of service, and, and the Lord has kept out of it, as it were. You're, 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 you're forgetting the joy of your salvation, as it were. The, the first love in service, there's no joy for the backslider, is there? And like a relationship between husband and wife, like I said, nothing. When they first come together, there is this, again, just to use the illustration, there's this intensity, isn't there? And this nothing is too much trouble. And it's sad when you see later on in life, sometimes, and especially in our culture, we see how husband and wife, they seemingly drift apart and, well, you do what you want to do and I do what I want to do. Not dwelling with their lives. There's still not that passion and that zeal for one another. And that's what Christ is saying. You've left off. Like, like a real relationship. I want a real relationship with you. And you've left off. You've left off me in this sense, as it were. And friends, it's true because the, 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 this letter is being uh, this book is being written, this particular passage is being written to ministers. And ministers can, can become like sermon writing machines. And I, I, and I put my hands up, sometimes we could fall into that trap. And they beca- can become more interested in wowing congregations with, with their academic prowess or new and modern theology or gimmicks, as it were, from the culture. Hence the rise of the celebrity evangelist and apologetics ministries. They could be so infatuated with just wowing congregations with all this academic prowess. Oh, look at how much I know. Or all these gimmicks, as it were. Instead of really seeking to feed God's children with the, the, the truth and the authority of the word of God. The sincere milk and meat of the word of God, whereby they may grow. It's, it's very telling, isn't it, of our day. And there is a sense where when we return to our first love, we become like little children again, do we not? The Lord preserveth the simple. 
The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 19:14, "Suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven." It's when we bec- when we're born again, we become like little children again, don't we? The guile, as it were, there's no guile, is there, in, in little children? Our hearts, like little children, become soft and malleable, believing every word again. When the Lord says something, we say, yes, sir. I love it. I I want that. I believe every word. Like little children, our hearts are full of affection and love toward their mamas, towards their parents. They want to cleave to them. They cry to them. They utterly depend upon them. And that's true when we're born again. There is this utter dependence upon the Lord. The Lord becomes our all in all. We love him. He is our first love. And when any poor lost sinner, dear friends, is truly born again, they become like a little child. Christ becomes their life. Christ becomes their first love. There's a new beginning and start in life, isn't there? All other loves just pale into insignificance. You know, the love of this world, the love of self, the love of the honours of this world, they just go and Christ becomes everything. Have you experienced that, that being truly born again? That's what, biblically, that's what it talks about. There, There is this childlike faith where Christ becomes your first love when you've realized what he's done for you and it comes with power saving power you're infatuated with him you could you spend hours and hours reading his word and it seems like minutes your prayer life is warm and constant and there's joy and there's tears and there's repentance sincere repentance but it brings joy and you know, sometimes as we get older, as Christians, there can be things that just take us away from those simple truths. The other loves can start coming in, as it were, try to dethrone Christ again from, from us and say, come on, remember these old loves? Remember these old people, as it were? These old idols? Come on. And it can happen, friends. And so, friends, like little children, they pour out their hearts before the Lord. They're weak. When we, oh, Christ becomes our first love, we're weak in our own eyes. We're little in our own eyes. We see ourselves as nothing. That we, 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 we say like David, I am but an ant. We say like Job, I'm vile, as it were. There is this, this deep humility that comes over us. And Christ becomes everything. And we see this in Psalm 51 with David's confession, do we not? The whole emphasis is upon Christ. He, sa- he says constantly, created me a new heart. You do this, you do this. I need and utterly need you. There's this uh, basically returning again to a simple childlike faith, to the joy of his salvation. We've got to go back to that, haven't we? And friends, I'm telling, you, I'm telling you now that if you're, you've not experienced the new birth, the new birth, as the word describes it, a new beginning, a new start in life, where you're infatuated with the Lord, where the Lord is everything to you. If you've not experienced that, and I can say with authority that you're not yet converted. 
Because Christ has to be your all in all. He has to be first in your life. He will not compete with other loves, friends. And that's why this church in Ephesus, they were doing all the right things, but they had forgotten about their first love. They were doing it for the wrong reasons. And this can very slowly creep into our lives over time. And like little children, they cannot, newly born uh, Christians, born again Christians, cannot disguise their feelings. Little children, they cannot disguise their feelings, can they? It just comes out naturally. Mama, mama! They cry unto their mum. They cleave unto their mum. They just, they cannot, there's no guile anymore. It just comes out naturally because they're born of Christ. And we see this with David. It just comes out naturally. All these prophetic and wonderful truths, they just come out naturally because he's experienced the new birth. And if you don't believe what I'm saying is true, consider, like I said, David's response when for a time he had left off his first love. Did he not? In that gross sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51. In 2 Samuel 12, the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David to convict him that he had, in essence, very tenderly, he could have done it in a lot more of a harsh way, but in God's tenderness to his servant, who did many great things for the Lord, he sends Nathan and very tenderly sends him a type of parable uh, which is true of him and Uriah. And he explains to David, Nathan speaks to David, there was a, a rich man who had all these herds. He was super rich. God had made him rich, in essence. And there was a poor man and who, who had nothing save a little ewe lamb, a little baby lamb. And this poor man cherished this little baby lamb and, and and it was everything to, to, to him. He cherished it. He loved it. He took it even to his bed and abided with it. It was everything to him. And yet this rich man just took it. Took that little ewe lamb and gave it to the wayfaring man, as it were. Took it. Meanly, harshly, ungodly. And David was outraged, wasn't he? How dare, how dare that man do that? He wanted God's judgment to be poured upon him right then and there. And, and for that per- person to, 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 to do fourfold, to, to give fourfold what he had taken away. And what was Nathan's response? Thou art the man. David, thou art the man. You can imagine those words must have come. like, like and, and it was so gently done, but they must have come. That must have broke David's heart when he realized that he had grown cold to the Lord. That, that he for years, for years he was taken from the sheep coat and God was with him. He knew of that assurance. He knew of, of peace in the, in the midst of the battle. He knew of God's love. He knew that God was with him. And then when he, when he became king, he became complacent, didn't he? And he took more wives and instead of going off and fighting God's battles out of love for the Lord like he did in previous days, he was there upon that rooftop, wasn't he? Because that love, that vital ingredient, that love was missing. And what, what was there? And he, he, he took 
Bathsheba with his eyes, didn't he? And he had, the, as, a, as the king, he had the authority. She couldn't do anything. But he took her with his eyes. He had the authority. I'll take her. And, of course, we know the rest of the story, do we not? That he, she conceived. He committed adultery. And he tried to cover up his wickedness. And he brought Uriah back from the battle. Attempted to get him drunk. And attempted to go back to your wife. As it were. He wanted to cover up his sin, his wickedness. And you see, Uriah was a man's man. Uriah was an honorable man. Because Uriah wanted to be fighting God's battles out of love. He wouldn't go back to his wife. Whilst there were people potentially dying in God's service. No, 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 no. no. You see, I, I can't do that. I'm not going to go back whilst God's people are fighting. Uh, and David, and again, that must have been heart-wrenching for David. And David sent him into the, into the heat of the battle. David knew he couldn't cover up that sin. Sent him into the heat of the battle, into the place where he knew it was more than likely that he would die. And he covered it up, didn't he, friends? And so, friends, you see from Psalm, from Psalm 51, a man, really, who wants to, to return desperately to his first love, Christ. We see this with David. When you, if you study this, this, this word of God, you really see here a man who desperately wants his first love back. He wants that relationship, that heartfelt relationship returned back. I want you back, Lord. I miss you. I want you to, to, to be my center of all my, all my life again. He remembers the joy when he was saved. He remembers the beautiful and godly relationship that he had in earlier years. His former state, as it were. He remembers the holy love and zeal and courage that he was given to overcome Goliath, the lion and the bear. The peace that he had in looming death. The inner strength that he had to run through armies. The delight he had in God's commandments. The the pleasure he had in God's service and behaving himself wisely around God's men, around Saul's men. The purity of heart and the fidelity he had to stand up for the Lord when many in Israel were capitulating. Where, where, Where are these things? My first love. He wants his first love back. He wants that beautiful and holy and loving relationship to be restored. I want you back, Lord. I want, your, I want you to be my first love again. Of course, Christ will always be his first love. You can never lose your salvation. We know that from the scriptures. But there is a sense here. There's, there's a sense here where you see it in the man's heart. You see, uh, what's happened to me? I've grown cold towards the Lord. And David's confession and prayer here is remarkable, friends. It's remarkable. He re- we, we really do see here the marks of grace of someone who truly has a relationship with the Lord, who is truly born again. A, a very personal, intimate, relational, loving, and, 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 a, and a saving relationship here. We, we, we really do see it. And we really do see here the marks of grace who is someone who is truly born of the Spirit of God. And who knows the Lord to be his first and only true love. He does not go to a shrink 
as it were, to unburden his guilt, to, uh, to try to discount his accountability so that he can become a victim. He doesn't do that. He comes directly to the Lord. He goes straight to the Lord. And David is intimately and experientially familiar to the character of who the Lord is. Can we say that of ourselves? Can we be like Abraham when Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham drew close to the Lord because he knew one of his family was there, a godly man, although made bad decisions, but he knew Lot was there and he drew drew closer to the Lord. He knew the character of who the Lord is and was, so he drew closer. If there be 50, if there be 45, if there be 30 and so on. God was, and what was he doing? He was seeking the Lord's face. He knew the character of who God is. Do you know the character of who the Lord is? Not just intellectually, but experientially. And so you know, I can come back to the Lord. I can seek the Lord. I can seek his forgiveness. I can seek his pardon. I can seek his his blessing. If I come with true heartfelt repentance, he will restore me, as it were. He knows He is intimately familiar with the character of who the Lord is because he's born again. He knows that first and foremost, his sin is against his first love, uh, the holy God. And that's very important in Psalm 51. We see this in the opening five verses. He knows first and foremost, before he sins against wife, family, anyone else, First and foremost, I've sinned against thee and against heaven, as it were. I've sinned against that knowledge, someone who has loved me and given himself for me. And that's why in verses 1 through 5, he says these precious words. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me. Throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. He's saying, first and foremost, I have sinned against my love. The one who saved me. The one who's given me his, an eternal salvation. Who's loved me. Has given me his spirit. Who's given me uh, exceedingly wonderful promises. I've, I've, I've done this in your sight. I, I, you are sovereign. And then it is almost... In verse 5, he comes up with this astounding verse in verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It's almost as though he wants to tell the whole world, I'm not alone in this. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I'm, I'm like this because I was born in sin. I was born a a sinner, a God-hater, as it were, a rebel, a a, a lawbreaker. This was my original condition. And I'm acting like I was in my original condition. I've given in. 
as it were, to this coldness. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He is not afraid to tell the world of his original condition by nature. And that is a very unpopular message nowadays. Very unpopular indeed. I remember only a few weeks ago mentioning that in the high street of Tiverton, that we are born in sin. That even little children are sinners. We, you don't have to tell a ch- child to, to do evil. We do evil because, like Jeremiah says, the heart is desperately wicked. We're all on the run. And yes, there is an innocency of children. Of course there is. But as they grow older, it manifests itself, don't they? And I, I remember saying that, and then someone in the crowd straight away comes up comes up and starts arguing with me. How dare you say that about children? We're, I said, we're all sinners. We're all born like this. When I was a child, I was like this. People don't want to be, don't, don't want to be told the truth, do they? Of, of our condition by nature. God is a God of truth. He desires truth in the inward parts. You see, the wonderful truth we have here about God's salvation, friends, that David knew of, and no doubt many here today know of as well, is that David puts all the emphasis, notice in this psalm, he puts all the emphasis upon restoration in his backslidings and upon salvation to be the work of the Lord. The Lord, our righteousness. The whole emphasis here is put upon the Lord. What he can do to rescue David out of this backsliding. And the same is true with salvation. Have mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God. It's God that has mercy. Wash me thoroughly, thoroughly from mine iniquity. Purge me, verse 7, with hyssop. Hyssop. Uh, the Jews thought was a, a, a herb which was used like a minty type of herd, herb which cleansed the insides. It was, hyssop was used as, a, as a, a herb which cleansed the insides of your body, as it were. And what David is saying here is, purge me with hyssop. Cleanse me from within. Cleanse me from these, this wickedness, these sins, this evilness. Purify me. And I shall be clean. Look at the confidence. And I shall be clean. And I shall be whiter than snow. That is faith, isn't it? That is someone who knows his first love. Who knows what it is to be born again. Verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness. That the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Again, all the emphasis is put upon what the Lord can do for him. He's not going to the Lord saying, I'm going to do all these things. He's saying, this is, he's pleading for what you, he, the Lord can do for him. Make me to hear, purge me, hide thy face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities, create in me a clean heart. It's all upon you. I love you, create in me a new heart. Like, in other words, like you did in the beginning. I know I'm yours, but I need, I need that continual, I need that continual renewing of the Spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. It's all put upon God, isn't it? 
It's all put over to God like a little child. I'm putting it all upon you, Lord. My first love. And then, amazingly, he says in verse 13, Then will I teach transgressions thy ways. Only when I, I know these things, true of myself, then I'm, a, I'm able to teach other people these wonderful truths. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto, unto me. And verse 14, deliver me from, from blood guiltiness. O God, thou God of my salvation, my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, verse 15, open thou mine lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Again, it's all upon the Lord, isn't it? You need to open my lips. You need to create in me a new heart. You need to restore me. You need to purge away my sins. You need to hide your face from me. You need to have mercy upon me. It's all upon the Lord. He's pleading for his first love, as it were. Uh, uh, he has been unfaithful, and he's pleading for his fir- first love to do all these things. Do we pray like this? Do we pray in this way? Or do we say, well, I'm going to do these things, I'm going to do this and that? Or do we plead, I'm dependent upon you like a little child? Now, that's not the discount that we need to be obedient. Of course we do. But do we plead for these things to depend upon him and I think we've lost that in our Christianity in the West it's all about us it's all about the second table of commandments just being a good person a social gospel where is the love for the Lord where is the devotion and a heartfelt love for the Lord and a dependence upon him verse 16 thou for thou desirest not sacrifice else I would give it Thou delightest not in burnt offering. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. That's what God wants, doesn't he? Wants a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Revelation 2, 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. We see this, the, the, the David doing the first works here again. Becoming like that little child again. Just pouring his heart out, wanting the Lord to almost going, taking, taking those steps back. Well, where have I gone so wrong? Who has beguiled me to take me away from my first love? That I should, should lose my affection and my desire for him. That my prayer life has become so cold and lifeless. That my church service, I don't come into God's house preparing my heart to receive the words of God. That I haven't sought the Lord. That, that these things, are, I, I, I am grieving the spirit. That the spirit is in, in me, but I'm, he's withdrawn himself as it were. I'm grieving him because... I'm more infatuated with other things that have crept in. It can happen to all of us, friends. And he says, you need to go back to when you were truly, if you were truly converted and born again, and you've experienced this, you need to go back there. You need to repent over your repentance. You need to go back to that initial time where you were truly converted. And then you will receive that joy and that peace and that resolve and that that pleasure in service again. 
He said, come home to Christ. Go back to the fount of every blessing, as it were. Like David, acknowledge and confess your sins, what has led you away. Plead for restoration, as it were. And if you're not yet his, plead by God's mercy and power, friends, that, that he, you will be his and you will experience the new birth in the sense that he will be your first love. You see, the culture would have you believe that, like I said, you've got to look a certain way and act a certain way for you to be accepted in our culture. Whether you're a woman, you've got to look and dress a certain way and then you'll be loved. Then you can be loved. And the same with men. You've got to be grossly masculine or you've got to have a fancy car or all these other things. But with God, you see, you come as you are with all your wretchedness, with all your sin, and you, and you truly repent of it and you believe in him. And you make him your first love, the one who has truly loved you like no other and given himself for you. Pray, friends, like David did, for a new heart. I need to be remade again. I can't come to try to reform myself. That's what many professing Christians are doing. I come to try to reform myself. I, I come, I come with a wicked heart. I need a complete overhaul in my heart. Not just a, 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 a house which is partly refurbished, a room which is... I need a complete overhaul. Every part of me has been corrupted. Pray for a new heart. Pray for a right spirit, as it were, for the Holy Spirit. Pray to be remade again, to be broken down for your confidence in all the loves of this world to be completely broken down. See them for what they are. And see the Lord as your only way, your only love. Get serious over your maker. Don't neglect so wonderful salvation that is in Christ. Say like Jacob, spiritually speaking, I will not, I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. Unless thou bless me. I, I will not let you go until I've experienced a new birth. When I have these truths which I've spoken about, they are true of me. I will not let you go until I've experienced these things. You must experience the new birth in Christ. You must experience the, a transforming of your heart and mind. God must be Lord of your heart and your mind, not just your attendance or not just your outer things. I fear, friends, in the days that we're living in, many, many professing Christians don't know all the new birth. I just simply don't know that. But it has to be true if you are expecting to go to be with the Lord in glory. You have to experience the new birth. His love and mercy and grace is open, friends, to each and every one of us today. God will save you if you come to him his way. He promises. He knocks upon the door of your heart, dear friends. Are you asleep, spiritually speaking? He beckons you. He woos you. As, as it were. Maybe his spirit has been striving with you for years. And you're, you're still holding something back. Really, there's still things in your heart, in your life, that you're holding back from him. You haven't yet closed with him. You have to come with everything, don't you? His spirit will not always strive with man's spirit. He's at the door. He's beckoning you. He's been there a long time. But you see, friends, the danger is, is that the heart, that that voice will get faint. Because if you keep on rejecting him, 
If you keep making the things of this world your love, as it were, then the spirit will not always strive with man's spirit. There may be a time where you will not hear that voice anymore. It's a truth, a scripture, isn't it? Because the heart gets harder, the busier gets busier. The devil will make good use of idle hands, friends. And so at length, dear friends, the Saviour beckons you, come, come, with all your weakness, with all your depravity, come into the rest of the Lord. How long will you resist him? How long will you love the creature more than the creator? How long will you live before an all-knowing holy God with a divided heart and get away with it? He must have all your heart. And true Christians know of this, don't, don't we? When, when we felt like for a time we've had a bit of a divided heart, it, it, it's a really painful thing when, when we're reminded of this. And sometimes we can, people can remind of, of us inadvertently. They didn't even know it. But it's, we, he must have the whole heart. He must be our first love. Seek him, friends, whilst he may be found. Call upon him whilst he is near. His love will give you peace and joy and rest and holiness of heart and life. Dear friends, which the loves of this world can, just cannot give you and will not give you. Come to him today. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.com. Co.uk